Welcome to Idaho Speaks, the place to learn about candidates and issues important to Idaho. My name is Ed, and I created this channel to overcome the media bias that plagues our communities and our state. When presented all the information, I believe you, the voter, will make the best decision for our future. At Idaho Speaks, we will give you the side of the story being hidden by mainstream media and big tech giants. My name is David Worley, and I'm the Southeast Idaho interviewer for the Idaho Speaks team. Our goal is to give you, the voter, as much access as possible to the field of state and local candidates around Idaho. Ed and I both do interviews, so if you as a candidate find yourself in a situation where you need to speak directly to the voters and are having trouble getting through the mainstream media, please reach out and we will do our best to get you on the program. We want to give Republican and conservative candidates a platform to communicate their ideas in a long-form format so that you, the voter, has the best information available to make your choice on Election Day. Idaho Speaks, your issues, your candidates, your state. Welcome to Idaho Speaks. Hey, thank you for tuning in and sharing these episodes. Now, before we dive into today's episode on community standards, I I would like to talk a little bit about Elon Musk. (laughs) I know you're saying, wait, what? Last week, I did an episode on Elon Musk for my national show, and the thesis of that show is applicable to today's show, so I'd like to share it with you. The the American progressive movement is evil. It, It seeks to fundamentally transform America, but into what? Well, that was not so clear when Obama first spoke the words. But now, so many years later, we see firsthand what they want to change to. The more important question is why? But, but for, the, for that answer, you'll need to tune into my national program. For today, the important part is what we, as conservatives, can and should do about it. We, we must call out the evil for what it is. Evil. I know some of you might feel um, uncomfortable with the, the evil label. Maybe describing the evil I'm referencing makes it easier. Forcing a change of societal standards and norms. In the state of Idaho, World Population Review reports the number of people who identify as transgender is 4,750, or roughly 25 one-hundredths of a percent of the state population. Now, let me put that another way. One out of every 400 people in the state of Idaho identify as transgender. Let's assume for a moment that that number is double that, and we agree that five one-hundredths of a percent of the 1.9 million people who live in the state, identify as transgender. Now, compare that to the number of people who identify as religious in the state of Idaho. At 51% of the 1.9 million people, now that number is from the same World Population Review site. Looking at Pew Research Center, they say 67% of the population identify as religious. 0.005% to 51%. Does that mean we need to fundamentally transform America 
and hold drag queen shows for children in the public park? Oh, but don't you dare say anything about it. They will label you as uh, homophobic and, and transphobic or whatever woke term they wish to use. What consenting adults do in the privacy of their home is their business, not ours. I think you and I agree on that concept, but what happens in the public square is our business. The moral standards used to base decisions on how public tax dollars are spent is our business, and we, the majority, have a right to call it out. Today's episode actually highlights our obligation to call it out. And I thought it would be silly for me to pontificate on the topic for 30 or 40 minutes. So I invited Paul Van Noy from Candlelight Church to come on the program to talk about a recent effort to apply our community moral standards to city governance. Paul, thank you so much for agreeing to come on Idaho Speaks. Oh, thank you, Ed. I appreciate it. Now, you know... <laughs> You, you recently wrote a letter to the Coeur d'Alene City Council, and I never saw that letter published in the local press. So I wonder if it might be okay with you if we start by having you read that letter. Is that okay? I'd be happy to do it. All right, here we go. Recently, I made a plea to you as members of the Coeur d'Alene City Council for the continuation of the Ministerial Association's handling of the invocations. I, we, were denied. As you know, I peacefully and respectfully disagreed, but agreeably. Now I must speak up again. The invocation being handled by the Ministerial Association allowed for third-party screening of fringe or unwanted groups from participation and provided the blessing of healthy and wholesome offerings to the city. Such groups as the Satanic Church of Idaho, who recently were named as supporters of the, quote, Pride in the Park, in quote, event, would be disallowed from participation. It is clear to me that you, as city council members, are not able to discriminate, and therefore you felt the need to open up the invocation to all. However, this is not the first time I or we have seen the, quote, inclusion, in quote, issue come up. And it won't be the last. In fact, several years ago, the city council made provisions for one group, in this case, the sexually confused, to have access to facilities otherwise limited to gender-specific activity at the expense of those otherwise put out by the decision. Therefore, the inclusion of one group became a problem for another. Somewhere in all of this, there must be reasonable and common ground for the, quote, included, in quote, but not at the expense of others. Recently, as I'm certain you are aware, the Pride in the Park event demonstrated yet another problem for our community and indeed for you as city council members. I agree that all persons who live in our community should have access to the city park and no one should be disallowed to exercise their God-given freedom to live, work, play, celebrate, etc., as they wish, but with limits. This is why we have laws, ordinances, and regulations. However, we should note that God holds accountable those who exercise those freedoms and likewise holds accountable those who endorse acts he condemns. The activities of the LGBTQ plus community demonstrate freedom. 
But I must say, unwholesome public displays paraded in public in the face of others whom they wish to influence, entice, indoctrinate, or shame when they are opposed is another matter. My question is, when will we feel that the line of wholesome conduct in public has been crossed? Have we, are we, suggesting that we want Coeur d'Alene to become the Northwest Sodom? Do we have any values we wish to retain? I want to go on record as being opposed to discrimination for discrimination's sake, and that I understand the dilemma you as the city leader may find yourself in. But for crying out loud, are we as a community willing to lower our standards like this? Do we suggest that the behaviors of those who flaunt their abnormal and ungodly lifestyles be condoned as normal, appropriate, acceptable? Are we to suggest that men dressed as women or women dressed as men, waving the flag of a once understood symbol of God's promise to never again flood the earth with a watery judgment, be applauded? Have we forgotten that the promise did not and does not suggest no later, further, worldwide judgment upon the ungodly? I would strongly suggest that we, as a city, maintain at the very least a wholesome public standard. Even the Bible tells us that the things done in secret should not even be spoken about, much less advertised for public consumption and influence. Paul wrote, quote, I have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness, but rather expose them. For it is shameful even to speak of those things which are done by them in secret. Ephesians chapter 5, verses 11 and 12. See also Romans chapter 1. It is no surprise that there was so much noise in and around our city this past weekend. The LGBTQ plus persons have the same rights to use the park as do all. However, I do also believe that there must be some standard we place upon all groups when perversions take us away from the wholesome. I ask those I serve to stay away and refrain from involvement altogether. Members of our church did not go down at all. However, I cannot condemn the upsets or concerns among those who went down to pray, march, etc. They too have and had the right to be there but not for the promotion or advocation of violence. Please heed the call to protect our community. So now before diving into the content of the letter, do you mind sharing with the listeners just a little bit about you? Who is Paul Van Noy? Well, I'm a husband. I am a father. I'm a grandfather. Got nine grandchildren now and I'm counting. I'm very excited about our family. I am the pastor at Candlelight Christian Fellowship. We're celebrating our 25-year anniversary this coming Sunday. Looking forward to that. Prior to coming up here, I pastored in California. I know a lot of people are worried about California, and I too, uh, being a former Californian, have many friends there, and I love them very much. But I pastored there for about 12 years. I have a Calvary Chapel background, and I'm very excited about being here in the Northwest, and in particular, Coeur d'Alene. Now, why Coeur d'Alene? How did you, I mean, I'm from California as well, and I always say, don't judge me on where I was born. God mm. put me there on a purpose. Mm. Uh, but how did you end up in Idaho? Well, I was invited to come up here. Uh, some people may be familiar with the name Chuck Missler. Uh, Chuck Missler had an international ministry called Koinonia House, 
And uh, they were starting a church up here in the Northwest, and they asked me if I would come and help them start that church. Uh, in fact, that church uh, kind of broke away, and they still exist today over in Post Falls, Idaho. And then uh, shortly thereafter, Chuck encouraged me to start a Bible study, and that's become Candlelight. We and, started in my living room. And the rest is history. The rest so is history. Wow, wow. So let's talk about the letter. Why did you write it? Well, I wrote this letter in particular because I do care very much about our city, and I care about our city council members, and I recognize that they are responsible to serve the people. They are representatives. They are elected officials, and so it is important for them to hear from their constituency. And I think that they are getting one voice with a silent majority, again, silent. And so I want to speak up and speak for these issues that I think are important, and they do need to take note of the responsibility they have in leading our community. You know, and, that, and that's, a, that's a great point. I, I feel, you know, I've been watching for 45 years as our nation goes more secular, goes, turns away from God. Why is it that we remain silent? I mean, we see the folks in the progressive movement totally comfortable with doing just about anything. I mean, the threatening to assassinate a Supreme Court judge, marching down the street half naked, sometimes fully naked in Portland. They had the, the midnight naked bike ride annual event. I think they're in 15th or 18th annual affair. Why is it we're not willing to at least speak up about our moral beliefs when they seem so comfortable speaking about their immoral beliefs. Mm. Well, I think that there's a lot of answers to that. Let me give you a few ideas. Uh, first of all, there is a population of individuals that just by nature are not going to take leadership. Uh, we have different personality types. We all know that. And so some people just would never even think to speak up, even though they would hold to our worldview. Then there's, I would say, the problem that we have in leadership. There are different types of leaders and different focuses. Uh, some of our pastors, even, for example, have a very strong focus on evangelism, and I commend them for that, but they are very careful about what they say and what they represent because they don't want to offend anyone lest they lose the opportunity to share the gospel with them. I, on the other hand, uh, take a little different approach. When I am with someone that doesn't know the Lord, I am very interested in helping them to see and know the Lord. I always function in love, and I want people to know that. And those that know me, even those that I would uh, probably have them think of me as their adversary, will also testify to you that I treat them with respect. But I feel that there is a time and a place that we have to tell the truth, we have to tell it in love, and we have to tell it boldly. It kind of goes back to uh, what happened under the law. You know, God gave the children of Israel the law so that they would know what is wrong and what is right. And by making that very clear, people had conscience. Uh, even the dietary standards of the Old Testament, the Bible tells us, were given so that they would know how to discern the evil from the good, Leviticus. And so I think this is what's wrong in our society today is no one knows how to discern anymore. Well, I shouldn't say no one. Many people don't know how to discern what's right and wrong. Uh, things have become very, um, you know, uh, 
postmodern. There, you know, there, there is no absolute truths. And I think that this is what we need today is a voice that will speak directly to the issues and without mincing our words, tell the truth in love so that people know. And there's an accountability for what we know. And there's accountability for what we do or do not do with that truth. Yeah. And elegantly put, let me, let me play devil's advocate because I know some people are sitting at home and, and, and they want to take passive is the wrong word, but that's the word that's coming to mind. They, they want to take a less aggressive position. They don't want to assert their morals. They just want to live a godly life, lead their family, do what they can for their community and, and move on and, and ignore the other stuff. But, but let me play devil's advocate here, pardon the pun for the question. Why shouldn't the Church of Satan have a place at the public table? Well, uh, first of all, we probably should define Satanism. Uh, Satanism is not belief in a devil. They don't believe in anything. Uh, they are just, uh, let's follow the leadership uh, comment of uh, Anton LaVey, who wrote the Satanic Bible. The cardinal doctrine of Satanism, according to Anton LaVey, is do what thou wilt, quote unquote. And so in society, we do not have the prerogatives of just doing whatever we want. If I want to break into your house, it's wrong. We need to have a standard. And so the idea, the concepts, the religious standards of the Satanist is really anti-society. It's anti-structure. It's anti-discipline. And it's, it ultimately is going to just re, uh, would lead us to chaos. And of course, individuals have the right to practice their faith or the lack of their faith. They have to re be responsible for that. But in society, these worldviews have to be examined very carefully to see what the consequences of that belief system are. Now, even though your letter hasn't been printed, wasn't even put in the, the meeting minutes for the council uh, packet, uh, the newspaper, the local newspaper, CDA Press, they did take a swipe at your public testimony when you uh, shared these sentiments. Allow me to be the vessel, I believe is the word you used, to, um, to um, validate the people who would be giving the invocation. Currently, where does the invocation process for the city council lie? Okay, f first let me say they did allow me to read that letter into the public record. That's not the letter I just read. The letter that was preceding this one dealt exclusively with the invocation process. They didn't want me to read it in public. They, I asked them at that time, may I please enter it for the public record? And so they did allow me to read that letter. And so um, the present condition that we are in now in the city of Coeur d'Alene, and I might give background here, for the last 18 years, I've been responsible as the Ministerial Association president to vet and to screen those persons and pastors that would be providing an invocation. Presently, the discussion was whether or not they should eliminate the invocation altogether, or broaden the perspectives of who might be offering a invocation. And of course, this was of great concern for me. I believe in the spirit world, and I believe that as a Christian and as a pastor, when we pray, we are invoking the presence of the one and only true and living God. There are other people that don't. There are many gods, quote unquote, that Paul talked about in the Bible. He actually said they're demons. 
And so it concerns me greatly when anyone would invoke a spirit, a, a false God, a false Jesus, as Paul the Apostle mentions, into our community. And why? Because I care about our community. I care about the spiritual environment of our community. And frankly, I believe most of the people in this community have a Christian worldview, and they would agree. I don't think that we want Satanists invoking the presence of the devil. I already mentioned they don't actually believe in the devil, but of course, there's all kinds of flavors of Satanists as well, the self-styled, the religious, and those even recognized in government. But the idea that someone would invoke a spirit, and even Paul the Apostle said, and obviously this relates to the ecclesia, the church, uh, and uh, when we're dealing with civil governance, there's a little bit of a nuance there that has to be addressed. But he said that if somebody comes and preaches another gospel or preaches a different Jesus or that you might receive a different spirit, that you would put up with it, is what Paul says is of his concern. We can't put up with it. Why? Because we want to be exclusive. We want to be discriminatory. No, because we care about people and we care about the spiritual environment of our community. You know, it seems, it, okay, I'm, I'll back up a little bit here. America was founded on Judeo-Christian values. Mm -hmm. We separated from the European monarchy, tyranny, the, the, the process of persecution. There was religious persecution. There was non-religious persecution. We left that, we crossed the pond, and we started to establish our own community following Jesus Christ as our Savior and Lord. Why? Does America want to move away from these Judeo-Christian values? Well, first, I don't want to correct you. I know that there were people that were in the founding sure. of this country that were probably not Christian. Some people had religious beliefs otherwise. Even at the earliest development of our uh, country, we had different religious groups. There were Jews that didn't believe in Jesus. There were Muslims etc. We but know we that. still had within our founding doctor the Judeo-Christian ethic. Right. Yeah. And so again, I mean, we're dealing with both the natural and the spiritual. Uh, the the bottom line is why do people want to get away from the Judeo-Christian ethic? It's because Satan, the real Satan, and there is one, wants to destroy everything good. Uh, he comes to kill and to steal and to destroy. Jesus said, "I've come to give life and that life more abundantly." It also is a matter of people not wanting to answer to a God, any God. And so if we are our own God, we can make up our own rules and we can just live by whatever standard we want. There's no accountability and people want to put off restraint. And the Bible is very clear about that. When we put off restraint, the people perish. Uh, you've heard it said without vision, the people perish. And oftentimes the popular speakers will utilize that to suggest that uh, this is, you know, you have to have your five-year plan, your 10-year plan, and otherwise you will perish. But that's not what the Bible is indicating there. Without the ability to see, without the ability to discern, the people perish. And so these are great concerns to me. Now, we, I can go back through history, being a student of, of history and a child of God, and pick on president after president after president and, and say, oh, here was some ungodly nature here. Here was some anti-American behavior there. But, but I, I just want to go back a few years, and I, I, I want to pick on President Obama. Um, in 2008, when he was elected, I think it was 2008, he said, in four days, 
We are just four days away from fundamentally transforming America. What do you think that President Obama meant when he uttered those words? Well, frankly, I don't recall that sentence uh, statement, but I do remember when he said we are now living in a post-Christian America. And so if he said that four days before his inauguration, for example, then I would have a comment about what does that mean? Because obviously there is an agenda. Uh, Not only did Barack Obama have an agenda, but Hillary Clinton and many others, and we still see that agenda. And presently, we still see that agenda. Uh, Obviously, our president, um, Joe Biden, is not really driving the bus. Uh, There are people behind him, and I think Obama is one of them. And so this is a big problem for Americans. You know, but as 50 states, as a union, each state has its own sovereignty. And, and different states exercise that sovereignty at different levels. Why or how did Idaho slip into the, the transformative vortex, I'll call it? Is not Idaho a conservative state by overwhelming nature? Yeah, from what I understand, it is. Uh, again, you're dealing with politics versus religious worldview. Uh, you're dealing with creature comforts. And if I may, Ed, I want to go back to something you asked earlier, and I don't feel that I answered it. And it had to do with, you know, why are so many people quiet about these kind of things? In the same way, um, I think that this is what happens in our, Amer- uh, in our uh, Idaho culture. A lot of people just feel like it's not their responsibility. It's not their business. Why should they invest in it? But I want to remind everyone, and your listeners in particular, we are stewards of this state. We are stewards of this country. This is a representative government. We are a republic, and we need to be responsible. We can't say it's us and them. It's us and us. We're responsible. And so this is what's happening in our communities, Uh, even here locally. We don't have everyone voting, and we already know that in this local community, even right here in Kootenai County, we had election fraud, and we're working on proving that right now. And so there's a lot of variables in these kinds of questions and a lot of answers that actually bring to the table the truth that we need to be addressing. Boy, those are fantastic points. I mean, you're right. We are a representative form of government, and I believe too many Americans, uh, too many Idahoans, have forgotten that we're supposed to go to the polls, elect good people, and then hold their feet to the fire. Mm Mm-hmm. And, and this last election, we had 35% turnout for a primary. And applause and celebratory actions were taking place because well, that's a heck of a lot better than 18%. But I say both are sad. Oh, yeah. When we have half of 35% choosing our future leaders, we, do we truly have a representative form of government? Absolutely not. Not if the people don't speak and if they don't vote and if they don't act. I tell people all the time, we are responsible for our country and its leadership and our state and its leadership, our county and its leadership and our city. You asked about why I wrote this letter to the city council, to our mayor. Just the same way you are if you live in a neighborhood. You don't mow your lawn, your neighbor's gonna be upset about it. And if we're Christians, we don't want our neighbors to be upset because we didn't care for our yard. We are responsible as citizens. And so if something goes wrong, it's our fault. And we need to take ownership for it and get back to work and bringing back this country to the principles by which it was founded, 
And I would say, and moreover, my concern for the eternal destiny of people and for the fact that everyone will answer to the Lord at some point. And we need to help people understand that. And some do it very gently, some very boldly. I'm reminded of John the Baptist. And he looked at Herodias and Herod and said, it is unlawful for you to have your brother's wife. Well, he got put in prison. He lost his head. He even went through periods where he asked his disciples to go ask Jesus' disciples, is this the one that's coming or should we look for someone else? So John had all kinds of emotions like anybody else would, but he called it out. Now, some would say, well, that's not very loving. I disagree. I think it's very loving to tell someone that what they're doing is harming them and has consequences for their future. And if we really, really love people, we're going to tell them the truth. I would much rather have someone upset with me today and say, well, Pastor Paul, you told me that it was wrong for me to do thus and so, and have them hate me today and know the truth and the Holy Spirit come alongside and bring about the conviction to that truth and bring them to a place of repentance, then for on the day of judgment, for those people to be standing before the Lord and cry out, Paul, why didn't you tell me? We have to warn the unruly. The Bible says that. And yet today we want to give them a Coke. We want to give them a kitty. We want to pat them on the back and say, it's all good. It's all good. It's not all good. There is a day of judgment coming and people need to know that. Now, I know that sounds mean. I'm not trying to be mean. I'm trying to tell people the truth, and I'm alarmed at the sleepiness of this issue, all these issues, because there is a day of judgment coming, and Jesus died for our sins according to the Scriptures. The the Bible says that he was buried, and he was buried in the grave for three days and three nights and physically rose from the dead, ascended to heaven. He is interceding for his people today, And we need to help others to know the hope that we have, that they can be saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, not because they're good, not because they'll ever be good, because Jesus is good. And I want people to know that. And sometimes that requires a little shock treatment. It requires someone saying, look, what you're doing is wrong. This is harmful. And we want you to know it because there is hope for you. You know, wonderful. I'm going to share a story because... When my wife and I vacated California, uh, when I was born there, it was a conservative state. And you go to dinner and people talk about God. They pray before dinner. They're friendly. Oh, honey, let me hold your child while you have dinner. California completely changed. They abandoned God. No more were the people next to you at the dinner table in the restaurant, even acknowledging your presence, let alone being friendly. We moved to Oregon. It was a conservative state. And we go into the restaurants and we even commented, wow, so godly here. They pray before dinner and and they're so, they're so friendly and warm and loving and, and godly is all I could say. They were godly people. And then the Democrats got hold of the state and turned it blue and no longer were you allowed to even pray in the restaurant. And then we moved to Idaho. We, we evacuated from Oregon and we moved to what would we hope be our final resting place in a red state where God was put forth as almighty and important. We go to the restaurants and everybody's friendly. Oh dear, let me hold your child while you eat dinner. And it seems like that kind of stuff is going away. And it sounds like that's exactly what you're talking about. I think it is. So let me, (laughs) let me ask a difficult question. 
this has to do with what took place in Coeur d'Alene. Hit the national news. Um, we had a, a group of rabble rousers that came in and were arrested. And it, it looked like this was going to be the powder keg that set off Civil War number two or World War three or, or whatever it was going to be. But the, the uh, Pride in the Park event advertised a drag queen show for children. And those of us who were vocal, who are comfortable being, hey, no, that's not right. I, that's not the godly sense that I moved here for. And I'm a voting member of the public. I have a, at least a, a tiny little percentage of a right to say, no, that's not socially acceptable in public space. You want to do that at home? Go do that at home, but certainly not with children. But let me play devil's advocate again. Are not those people who identify as transgender also Americans who should enjoy the same freedoms as you and I do? They have the freedom to do what they do. But the Bible is very clear about not even speaking of those things that are done in secret. I think I mentioned that when I read my letter. I'm reminded of the fact that, well, when I was being raised in California, you could go to San Francisco, and you, if you were 18 years old, or maybe it was 21, I don't recall, and you'd pay a cover charge that you could go into a shady bar or some kind of a location that behind closed doors in a building with no windows, that kind of activity was taking place. Everyone, even people that lived in the city, felt uncomfortable in those shady places. I remember those days. Yeah, and they wouldn't even walk down those streets. Are you kidding? We're going to put this on display in broad daylight? This is what we're talking about by wholesomeness. There, this is not just a moral term. This is a forensic term. And what we're dealing with here is what is unwholesome. Certainly, there are people that are doing all kinds of things that are unwholesome. And if they choose to do that, they have been given by God the right to be disobedient to his holy standards and to suffer the consequences. That's right. They'll face St. Peter and have to pay for it. <laughs> We're going to face somebody. I don't, I'm not sure it'll be Peter. But well, it'll be somebody. Yeah, yep. yeah. The point is, when do we take that behavior out into a culture and we begin to normalize it? We have fallen. This is why I mentioned, do we really want to become the Northwest Sodom? Is that what we're after? I don't think anybody in Coeur d'Alene, Idaho, in mass, really wants that to be what Coeur d'Alene is known for. I might also mention, there were many people downtown that day. There were various groups from all over. Some even, you know, it looks, looks to be a group of individuals. I think there were 31 that were detained, arrested, booked, released, whatever it was. Not sure where they came from. Not sure all about who they were. There was a, a freedom group down there. There were Christians down there praying. There was a group of Catholics that were in the middle of the park kneeling and praying for the individuals. Everyone there had a right to be there. But what they were doing was, is important to me. And what was happening there is an enticement, an indoctrination, and this is something that is taking place within the LGBTQ community's agenda. 
to indoctrinate and to change a generation. And we have to stand against this. Personally, I would like to do something as an alternative next year, not go down and be there on the day of and cause trouble. I don't want to cause trouble for our community. I don't want there to be a militia activity in our community. I don't want there to be violent acts in our community. But I do think that we need to make a stand, take a stand, and do something that provides an alternative, not even on the same day. But uh, let's say we have bride in the park and we take back the rainbow. I got to do something. I don't want to be silent. Well put. Take back the rainbow. I love it. But okay, so let me let me ask a difficult question. You know, I, I quoted some statistics up front. It seems like those of us who say anything, I mean, I'm I'm a fairly neutral talk show host. I, I bring people on the show, we talk, we talk about the issues that are important to them, and I'm labeled an extremist because I use the word God freely. How can the religious position be considered extreme when over 67% identify as religious? Would not the desires of the 0.0025% be the extreme position? Excellent question. You got to ask the, the alternate question. Who's controlling the narrative? We're not the extremists. They are. Uh, here's another way that the the, um, shall we say, the narrative has been spun. We're the haters? No. Uh, we have been reacting to that. In fact, we are the lovers. We're the ones that care about people enough to tell them the truth, and yet when we tell them the truth, we're considered the haters. That is entirely untrue. And so it's a matter of controlling the narrative, and we have to get away from the voice of this world and get away from those that are trying to spin the narrative in their favor and get back to just looking at the truth. Reminds me, by the way, there's a new documentary that just came out. Um, it's Ben Shapiro and his people, I think, put it together called What is a Woman? It, everyone should see it because it talks directly to this issue, the control of the narrative. No one on this video that they did all this discussion and, and traveled all over the country and around the world Asking one simple question, what is a woman? Can you define a woman for me? They wouldn't answer the question because they realize that if they answer the question truthfully, it wouldn't have been within the framework of the narrative that they're wanting to communicate. Yeah, the woke, the woke nature is really pushing God further and further out of the mainstream. You know, I've stated numerous times on all of my podcasts that America's facing a lack of God problem. We've removed God from school, from, from the public square, and, and now from the way we run our city. You know, when I was a kid, the percentage of people who identified as religious, it, it was well north of 85%. From your vantage point as a pastor leading a congregation, if people continue to turn away from God, how do we stop this fundamental transformation of America? Well, I don't think we will. If people continue to turn away from God, and I must again admit that people are turning away from God because they seem to, many people, I, I don't like to stereotype and I realize I just did. I think that many people are turning away from God because they don't want to answer to God. It's easier to suggest that there is no God, at least in their psychic, 
world that they say, uh, I, I would prefer that there is no God because then I don't have consequences. I don't have to answer for my actions. And if this is the direction of a country, then like I mentioned earlier, this is anarchy. This is where we're going to have nothing but chaos. And so how are we going to save America and still continue to turn away from God? We're not. In fact, as unpopular as this might be to some, I believe that America is under judgment today. I believe that America is going to continue to be under judgment. As long as we're killing our babies, even with the Roe v. Wade in the Supreme Court today being discussed, and then the campaigning. I mean, look at the, look at the news. You got people out there screaming and yelling and campaigning so that they can continue to murder their unborn children. What in the world is happening? And are we waking up to this? And so are we going to save America? I don't think so. Uh, am I a patriot? You better believe it. I love my country. Pledge allegiance to my flag. I love my country. But I love God first. I'm a Christian first. And this is God's world. And he's going to rule. And he's going to reign. And we're all going to stand before him someday. And I suggest that we do all that we need to do to be at peace with him now. Psalm chapter 2 says, kiss the son lest he be angry with you. Uh, I think that is a very direct reference to what we might call in our culture, get right with God. Be at peace with God. And there's only one way to have peace with God, and that's through our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, who died for us in spite of us. May I just say, I think many people have a very wrong picture, a, a, a severely wrong picture of what it looks like to be a Christian. People think today that it means I have to get my life together, clean up my act, stop sinning, and then go before God, ask for forgiveness of my sins, and then maybe, if I'm good enough, God will save me. The Bible doesn't say that at all. In fact, the concept of repentance in the Bible for the unbeliever is to simply turn away from unbelief, to change your mind about who Jesus is, and trust him for salvation. Repentance of sins comes after. Once a person has been born again, they're empowered by the Spirit to live differently. But when we're preaching repentance of sins in order to clean up your life so that you can be accepted to God, good luck. I don't know about you, but I still struggle with things. Everyone does. We all need a Savior. And Jesus died for us so that we don't have to perform our way into his grace. Jesus did it all, all to him. Simply trust Jesus for the salvation that he alone provides, and he will save you in spite of you, in spite of your goodness, in spite of the fact that you will ever be good enough, you never will. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. But by grace are we saved through faith, and that not of ourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. Amen to that. Now, most of the people listening are already God-fearing people. They follow the, the word of God. They they live the life of a godly um, uh, existence. But for those who do turn in and listen to Idaho Speaks, who don't know yet God, how do they learn more about you and your church? Oh, they can go to candlelight.org. Our church is very easy to find. If you Google my name, Paul Van Noy, Pastor Paul, uh, just Candlelight Church in Northwest. Uh, sadly, and to some pleasure, I guess you would say at both ends, my name's made it around the world a few times. 
uh, most of the time because people called me the no masker pastor because I let people come to church wear, without wearing a mask. And uh, I got COVID. I spent uh, 18 days in the ICU. And of course, that made national news and that went around the globe. But it was because I wanted people to have freedom. I wanted them to have freedom to come to church. I want them to come. If you want to wear a mask, wear a mask. If you don't want to wear a mask, you don't have to wear a mask. You don't have to socially distance. You want to hug somebody, go ahead. We should have the freedom. And so I made this statement and I made it available to people. And so we're pretty easy to find. Candlelight.org, Coeur d'Alene, Idaho. And um, just happy to serve. And, and when are your services on Sunday? Well, we have four services on Sunday morning at this point. Uh, they are 7.30, 9 o'clock, 10.30, and noon. We have stuff going on at the church literally every single day. And often in the evenings, we have small groups and home Bible studies and women's ministry, men's ministry, things for children. This week, we're doing our VBS. We've got 350 kids in there, and teachers crawl on all over the place, and it's just fun. We're having a time of our lives. Yeah, VBS is always fun. So I, I before I, I wrap it up and thank you for your time, I want to just say the COVID thing. I felt that so many people were fearing COVID because they don't believe in the hereafter. They believe this is it. And my wife and I, both very God-fearing, when God calls us, we're ready to answer. Mm, I don't get to pick the first day or the last day. Right. Those were God's choices. Right. My choice, as commanded by him, is how I live the days between the first and last. Amen. And, Amen. I, and I think that if you're not going to a church already— I know this sounds like it's so trivial. Why do I have to go to a building just to try to believe in God? Because it's a step. It's a step in the right direction. If you don't know Jesus Christ now, find a church where you feel comfortable. And, and one step leads to the next step. When you find a pastor that resonates with you, that, that rings the harmony to your bones, then you'll know you're in the right place and you'll be in the right mood to accept Jesus as your Savior. Paul, I want to thank you so much for taking time to come on Idaho Speaks. Do you have any final thoughts you'd like to share with the listeners? Ed, thank you so much. It's a pleasure to be here with you today. I would make this comment. Just feeling good about a church is not enough. We need to know what is being taught and that it's accurately communicated from the Bible. There's a lot of feel-good places, and people can be deceived by their emotions and by their feelings, and so I just want to encourage people do your homework. Find out what they're teaching. Make certain that it's good Bible, solid Bible teaching. But I also want to go back to something else too. And I think it's important that we understand that COVID is real and it still is. Uh, my wife is at home sick today and I think she's got COVID. Uh, and she's getting better. Thank the Lord. But people got sick. And so it is not a matter of that we didn't care. But I think that you're right. Fear motivated much of what happened, not just here in America, but around the globe. And Paul the Apostle made a comment, to live is Christ and to die is gain. And so I do agree. I think many people were afraid of dying because they don't recognize that dying is actually better than this life, if you know the Lord. The difficulty though is of course that we have many people that got sick and I don't want anyone to be sick. In our building, we put air scrubbers. We did everything we could to keep people healthy. 
and we provided them with good nutritional advice. And so I don't want anyone to interpret our freedom as carelessness. And so we should care for one another. We should love one another, love the Lord with all of our heart, mind, soul, and strength. Love your neighbor as yourself. Jesus said, on this hangs all the long. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Paul. Amen. Thank you so much. God bless. We've reached the end of the episode, but not the end of the issue. Please share this episode with your friends and family. If you have questions or would like to share your own issues and ideas, visit www.idahospeaks.com and click share an issue. Your state, your voice, Idaho Speaks.